This creature from the dirt defied the everlasting holy God. God, for the glory of his name, is reconciling and reclaiming all things to himself. He's just yearning for you. He's longing for you. He wants friendship and relationship with you. He needs you. Oh, you're breaking his heart. No, he's going to break you. Self-esteem, that is a satanic idea. You're not as important as you think you are. This, like, when you say, I, I just can't believe in a God that would, you realize it doesn't matter. You don't get to define God. This is what's wrong with the Christian church today. We don't know who God is. Give us some men who know the truth. One man, Jew and Gentile, bond and free. One, there is no race in Christ Jesus. Oh, how a man needs to fear God, that that man might cling to his word. Give us some preachers who aren't tripping over their skirt to get into the pulpit. What's wrong with you people? Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Matter of Theology. We are going on with part six of Romans 11. That's right. Uh, Josh says to give his condolences. He can't be here. Uh he is it sounds like it's like gonna be like bad, so he's like, yeah. I'm out. <laughs> yeah, he's gone. But he is with family, uh, still doing holiday stuff. Uh, he has bad reception. Uh, but you know, he's spending time with family, so that's always that we always give passes for that. Absolutely. Yeah. So Romans eleven, we are yeah. continuing on verses twenty five through thirty two. Yeah. Nope. Do do a do do kind of a recap, starting from Romans one. What, what what's taking place here? Well, uh, we're we're the whole point of the chapter. Um, if uh, if you'll remember, is dealing with the present and future state of the nation Israel. Um, and Paul has taken this entire section, chapters nine through eleven to really, really um, dissect and drive home uh, what has happened in the church uh, and what will happen in the future. And so uh, in, in, in the first section of Romans 11, uh, he just lays it out there that God has not permanently and finally rejected um, his people from the nation Israel. Uh, with that, may it never be, God forbid, absolutely a thousand times no. And he goes on to list why, um, uh, the first of which being that Paul himself is an Israelite from the tribe of Benjamin. Uh, and, um, and, and the fact that God has not and cannot and will not reject his people who he foreknew. Um, and then he went on to give examples of that through the old Testament. Uh, and we're going to see more of that in, in this section. Um, but then he just, he's, he's continuing to drive home in that, that master teaching style, uh, from a pastor's heart. And you really see that in this section too is is this this pastoral heart this pastoral shepherding and teaching 
um, that is in this section that we're going to be talking about in this episode. Um, and, uh, but he goes through and, and he details out, um, the fact that, uh, that God has, uh, has given them a spirit of stupor, uh, eyes to see not ears to hear not. Um, and, but they, they, they did not stumble out you know, so as to permanently fall and through their transgression, through their disobedience, through their apostasy, uh, salvation has come to the Gentiles. And so last time we, we really unpacked that and really the last two times really unpacked that and talked about that. Um, you know, cause Paul is an apostle of the Gentiles as he says in verse 13, uh, that's the ministry that the Lord has given him. Um, one of the ministries that the Lord has given him. Uh, and then he goes in to talk about not being conceited, not being, um, not being puffed up, uh, because of ethnicity, because, uh, you are grafted in as Gentiles and, mm-hmm. uh, and not, not to look, uh, at the state of the Jews and the out, them being on the outside and think that somehow that, that, uh, that, that you're, you're special, uh, other than the fact that you have been given the faith and given the grace, uh, to believe. Um, so he's continuing to, to drive that home, uh, and, and, and unpack that for, uh, for his readers and, and for us. Um, and so that's just kind of a real, real high level, um, catch up, uh, of where we are, uh, in this episode. So, so in verse 25, I'm just going to read through, uh, 25 through 32 is, is where we're going to be in this episode. And then, um, and then we'll wrap up next time, uh, with 33 through 36. And oh my gosh, that is an incredible section. So, all right, verse 25 for, I do not want you to be, I do not want you brethren to be uninformed of this mystery so that you will not be wise in your own estimation that a partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved just as it is written. The deliverer will come from Zion. He will remove ungodliness from Jacob. This is my covenant with them. When I take away their sins from the standpoint of the gospel, they are enemies for your sake, but from the standpoint of God's choice, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable for just as you once were disobedient to God, but now have been shown mercy because of their disobedience. So these also now have been disobedient that because of the mercy shown to you, they also may now be shown mercy for God has shut up all in disobedience so that he may show mercy to all. So and initially reading through this and initially just looking at it, you again, like a lot of sections in this chapter, you may just go, wait, what, <laughs> what did he just say? What is he talking about? What, what is he saying here? And so, you know, Paul, Paul starts out with that word for, which that's one of Paul's favorite, favorite words to use. And we see that through all of his epistles that he wrote. He says, for, I do not want you brethren, brothers, to be uninformed, to be ignorant, to be not knowing of this mystery, this, this mysterion in the Greek. And, and, and what that translates into is that which is known and unknown. And the, the, the thing about mystery that we find in scripture is it must be something that is revealed to you, not something that you figure out on your own. That's right. Now, this mystery, if you turn in your Bibles to Ephesians 3, 
<clears throat> Starting in verse one. So Paul has, has in, in, in chapter two of Ephesians, Paul has wrapped up by talking about how we're knitted together in one spirit, right? Christ has come. Uh, the spirit is in us that joins us to the fathers. We're no longer, we're no longer aliens, but we're now citizens uh, of God's household. We're saints. Uh, and then Paul says, verse one, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you, Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace, which was given to me for you, that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery, there it is, as I wrote before in brief. Now we're going to continue on, and he's going to say what the mystery was. Verse 4, by referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, mm. which in other generations was made known to the sons of men as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the spirit. Verse six, to be specific, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. That is the mystery that was revealed, that the Gentiles are now grafted into the body of Christ because the Gentiles themselves, they were, they were dirty. They were viewed as unclean because they were not Jews. The Jews were God's chosen people. But mm. then how can God bring Gentiles in? That's the mystery. And it, it's but the, that mystery is revealed through the gospel that went out through the apostles uh, to all the people uh, of, uh, of the known area at that time. Mm-hmm. So, so that is the mystery that Paul is referring to in Romans uh, chapter eleven, right here. That's right. That's right. And and here's something else that that is a, a mystery. And 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 Doctor R. C. Sproul pointed this out in his commentary on Romans eleven. He said that we have to remember that the majority of converts today are Gentiles. That's right. We still see that happening today. And and that is a mystery being as Israel, the Israelites, the Jews are God's chosen nation, were God's chosen nation and instruments to usher uh, the good news, the gospel into the world. Um, and, 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 and so Paul, Paul continues to unpack this in, in verse 25. He's saying, you know, uninformed of this mystery so that you will not be wise in your own estimation and and remember P paul has paul has been uh been talking about uh personal wisdom and and wisdom in our own estimation throughout this entire epistle uh my mind was brought back to romans 1 uh professing to be wise they became fools um and uh and, and so so paul is again wanting to make sure he said, I don't want you to be uninformed. I want you to have all the information. I want this to be revealed to you so that you will not be wise in your own estimation. Because if you try to be wise in your own estimation, you're going to get it wrong. Get back to the truth, get back to, and, and here's, here's what he does. And Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones pointed this out. He uses not experience, but he uses scripture. 
he uses the Old Testament. And so, so he goes on to say that, you know, you won't be wise in your own estimation that a partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. So that's the first part of the first part of the mystery is the partial hardening. Okay. Which he talked about in verse, uh, verses eight through 13. 8 through 12, excuse me. Uh, that's the first part. Until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, that is the that is the second part of the mystery. You know, so so again, just to recap. So Paul does not want us to be uh, wise or, or or prudent or practically wise. Um, you know, uh, uh, one of the things that I, I wrote down is, is you know, we, we don't want to be wise in our own conceit. Um, you know, uh, it, 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 Paul, Paul is wanting to unpack this and the, the partial hardening. And remember, we talked about that hardening before when we mentioned the spirit of stupor, right? The, the, the callousness, the, 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 uh, the temporary callousness that has happened to, uh, to the Israelites, um, and, and the purpose of that, what, what has happened and, and when that will end, is until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Now that that section, that those three words has come in. Jesus used this this very expression in Matthew five, Mark nine, uh, when talking about entering into the kingdom of heaven, and in, and then in Mark nine and John three, he also talked about the same has come in is the same Greek expression as entering eternal life receiving salvation. So that's what the has come in means. And this, the the mystery will come to an end when the elect are all gathered in. That's when the mystery will end. Yep. So, uh, and, and again, this is, and Paul is going to launch into this incredible exposition of a few different passages of scripture here. Um, and he's going to start in verse 26. And, and this is, this is the verse that gets a lot of people in trouble. This is the verse that hangs a lot of people up. Uh, and I'll say this, I'm not going to get into a big eschatological discussion on this episode, um, about, um, you know, uh, uh, about this other than to say, this is just what the text teaches. Um, and so he says, and, and, and so all Israel will be saved just as it is written. The deliverer will come from Zion. He will remove ungodliness from Jacob. So just unpacking the text, the word all there is the adjective in the Greek. It's pass P A S. And it means of every kind in all aspects, in all ways, in all things. This does not mean that God has two kingdoms and that Israel is in one and everybody else is in the other. Okay. We have all been grafted. We did. Paul just talked about this. He just taught on this, how the Gentiles have been grafted in, right? The same tree. We're on the same tree with Christ being the root and the foundation. Okay. So we'll just, we'll just leave it. We'll just leave it at that. Well, well, let's, let's kind of to, to clarify it a little bit. Right. So a lot of, you hear a lot of people say all means all, and that's all, all means. Well, that's not true. There's an audience relevance whenever using the term all, 
So if you're in, uh, say you're in, you know, your small group, right? You're in someone's house and you say, hey, we should all go get ice cream. Well, do you mean everyone uh, in that neighborhood? Do you mean everyone in that county? No, there's an audience relevance. You mean everyone that's associated in that in that immediate group. So when when the Apostle Paul is using the term all in terms of all Israel, he means all of the chosen of Israel, just as like the Gentiles, all those who are the chosen of the Gentiles. Everyone is that that God intends to save will be saved. All of them will be saved. Everyone that the atonement was meant to cover will cover them. Right. And, and it's important to point out here that, that, you know, this entire section, this, this entire chapter, Paul's not talking about elect individuals. He is, he is speaking of the elect nation inside the nation Israel. So it is a group of people that he's talking about. Um, so, and I, th- th- that's hard to wrap your mind around. You just have to stop and think about what I'm saying. What, what were we going to say? It, well, I mean, it just it because because a group of people is made up of individuals, right, right, <laughs> right. But yeah, yes, yes. But what what Paul is getting at here and what he's talking about is that God is not done, right, with the nation Israel right. as a whole, right? Because he's he he's made mention of of two specific groups: Gentiles and 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 and. Israel. Correct. But then even within Israel, he's made mention of two different groups of Israel. That's right. Those who, who are hardened and those who are not who are chosen. That's, That's correct. Right. That's correct. So I know that statement that I made hurts the brain. Uh it hurts <laughs> mine too. Uh so uh so moving on from that, uh Paul Paul quotes Isaiah fifty nine here. Um and he says uh, the deliverer, the rescuer, the savior will come. No, notice the words here will come from Zion. He will remove ungodliness from Jacob. And that word remove there to turn away, uh, to, to turn them away from ungodliness, from impiety, from ungodly deeds. Um, you know, Dr. R.C. Sproul, he, he said this when it comes, when talking about this section of scripture, he says, quote, God has the power, authority, and will turn people away from their disobedience. Had God waited in heaven for us to turn from our sins and come to the cross, he would still be waiting. In his sovereign mercy and grace, God does not wait for us to turn or incline ourselves. God brings us away from our disobedience to respond to him. Close quote. Um, and that is Again, notice the notice the verbs here. Notice notice what God will do, what He is doing, um, and 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 that's what happens to all of us who are safe. He removes, He takes away, um, and and uh, I mean He He continues this thought in verse twenty seven, um, quoting from the prophet Jeremiah, Jeremiah thirty one. Uh, he says, this is my covenant with them when I, the Lord, Yahweh, when I take away, that same word is remove, take away their sins. This covenant, this arrangement, this promise, and this promise is made without condition. The covenant that we have with God, 
uh, as his as his adopted chosen children is divine. It's unalterable. It's it is completely and wholeheartedly in terms and in 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 ratification. Uh, to quote Dr. John MacArthur, is God's doing. You know, when you look at in Genesis in Genesis fifteen, when you look at when Abraham was asleep. Uh, after he was told to cut the cut this uh, cut the animal into three pieces, and he fell asleep, and the Lord passed through. Where was Abraham? He was asleep. He was a silent observer. He was a silent onlooker. Um, you know, and it's and it's so it, it's that kind of covenant that we have uh, with the Lord. So I just wanted to read um, that passage out of Jeremiah. You look like you're about to say something. Oh uh, no, I mean. Uh... In mentioning before that, uh, he will remove ungodliness from Jacob. You know, the mention of Jacob brought me back to just the story of Jacob. Uh, you know, Jacob was a deceiver. Uh, mm, yeah, he, he tried. He tried to steal uh, the blessing. Right. He instead of instead of the blessing being bestowed upon him, he wanted to to steal the blessing. Yeah. But then, uh, you know, he's walking. Really, uh, in his life, uh, he, he he's he's fleeing, right? He's always he's always on the lookout for Esau, who who, who he thinks is always trying to murder him. Uh, but he comes in contact with God, the angel of the Lord, right? He comes in contact, and what does he do? Uh, it, he gets his hip messed up, right? He walks away from that encounter, changed, a different person. Uh, and and what we see moving forward is that. You know the Israelites in uh, uh, in this time that Paul's writing, you know, they always refer to themselves as the sons of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? The descendants of that. Mm-hmm. But yet, in, instead of realizing what happened with Jacob, the change that took place with Jacob, they're still relying on their pedigree and who yeah. they come from yeah. in order to yeah. obtain their blessing. Right. But and they're not realizing that it's through Christ that has come. Right. They're they're not they're not looking for the Messiah. They're relying on who they are and where they come from, that they're not focused on Christ as the Messiah. Well, and how does that apply to today? Yeah, I mean, today we we rely on uh, even external things of what we do. We, we go to church. We, we read our Bible this amount of time, right? We prayed this much. You know, we we lengthen someone's leg uh, or something. You know, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, we focus That's on amazing. on ex- <laughs> we focus on external things. Right. We focus on uh, and really all it is, is for people to look at us to see how godly we are, mm. which is, you know, basically we're, is pharisaical because the Pharisees were all about the external motions. Right. Uh, right. They didn't grow in personal holiness. Right. Uh, no, they didn't. Where what we need to be doing is we need to be submitting ourselves to Christ mm. so that he can change us like he did Jacob so that he can, we, we have an encounter with him. He changes us. And now we walk in the way uh, that he leads and guides us and points us to walk. That's right. That's right. Amen, brother. Amen. So Jeremiah 31, uh, starting in verse 33, says this, But this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, 
Notice that notice I will put my law within them and on their heart. I will write it and I will be their God and they shall be my people. They will not teach again, each man, his neighbor and each man, his brother saying, know the Lord for they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest of them declares the Lord for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin. I will remember no more. And I love verse 35. Thus says the Lord who gives the sun for light by day and the fixed order of the moon and the stars for light by night, who stirs up the sea so that the waves roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. Hmm. Man, that is like, and again, you see, you see, you see Paul implementing these, these old Testament teachings um, because th- this would have, this is something that you can't argue with. Thus says the Lord. Right. And that's one of the things that as a teacher, Paul was trying to, to really drive home. So uh, verse 28, he says, from, from, from the standpoint of the gospel, they, Israel, are enemies for you, for, for your sake, the Gentiles. But from the standpoint of God's choice, they are beloved for the sake of their fathers. And, and again, so, so Paul's already unpacked the whole, the whole concept of, from the standpoint of the gospel, their enemies for your sake in, in verses 11 through 24, Israel rejected and crucified Christ, hence their enemies. Uh, so the Gentiles were grafted in, uh, and, and remember we're, we're all enemies of God before, before, uh, we are redeemed before we're grafted in. Um, and he's just reminding them again, from the standpoint of the gospels, they're, they're enemies because of what they, but remember, because of the standpoint of of God's choice. They are beloved for the sake of the fathers, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, um, uh, which, which as we've talked about before, uh, we now have been grafted in and adopted in, and we are uh, descendants of Abraham uh, as well. So, um, and, and we have to remember being elected in Christ. We have to remember that is it's because of the love for the son that the father has. That's one of the main reasons we are, the salvation comes to any of us. So, so then just moving through this verse 29, he says, for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Okay. So, um, uh, again, I want to turn to uh, Dr. R.C. Sproul, the late Dr. R.C. Sproul, uh, and he says this quote, when the Lord gives a gift, it is irrevocable. When the Lord God exercises his redeeming call on someone, it is final. He never takes it back. The supreme gift we have been given is grace, the gift of mercy by which we have been called and brought into the kingdom and the fellowship of Christ and adopted into his household. God will never under any circumstances revoke it. Even our disobedience, which may displease him and provoke him to corrective wrath, will not cause him to take that gift away. Close quote. Man, just, I love, I miss him. I love, I'm so grateful for his ministry, for being able to break down uh, something like this and remembering that the gifts, the uh, the Greek, there's the, the, the charismata, of course, where we get charismatic, um, the grace gifts, for, and, and it's from his choice. It's his favor. <clears throat> Excuse me. 
the calling is the effectual call, that salvific electing call of God. It is irrevocable, irrevocable. It cannot be rejected or stopped or unaltered in any way. As first Thessalonians five twenty four says, he who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Mm-hmm. So what you got brother? No, it's just, I mean, that it has nothing to do with you. No, this is all by God. This is all his grace. This is all a demonstration of his mercy because you don't deserve this mm. at all. Uh, this is all a work of God. There is at, at no point do you, uh, do you contribute anything to this? The God gifts you and he calls you mm-hmm. despite you. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and, and, and again, you see this section, chapters 9 through 11, this theme, you know, in chapters 9, he, he says salvation is not, does not depend on the man who wills or runs, but on on God who has mercy, who has That's compassion. Right. And notice some of the same language here. And then he's using, look at the language of Jeremiah. Look at the language of Isaiah. I will, I will, I will write, I will redeem, I will remove, I will take away. Um, I will, I will regenerate. I will restore. That's, that's, that's from God's standpoint. Mm-hmm. That's not from us. And so it's, I find it just dumbfounding that people can read this and study this and not see the beauty and wonder and power of God's predestining choice and have such a problem with the doctrine of election, the doctrine of predestination. It's right here. You want him to elect you. You want him to predestine you because if you don't have that, then guess what? Your salvation depends on you and it turns God into a weak and impotent, not able to save God. And I'm sorry, that is not what scripture teaches. At all. That's right. If if your salvation depended upon you and what you did, you would continually lose it. That's right. That's absolutely right. I would have lost it this morning in traffic. (laughs) I mean, straight up. Um, You know, so so, I, I love verse 29 of Romans 11. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. It, it takes my mind to Romans 8. And and what shall separate us? Nothing. Paul goes through this incredible list. And then he says, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate you from the love of Christ Jesus and, and our Lord. So now this, this last section uh, of this part, verses 30 and through 32, this is, this is coming full circle. This is Paul coming first full circle. He's talked about the Gentiles being grafted in uh, through the hardening and uh, the temporary blinding, the stupor, the disobedience, the apostasy of the Jews. And so in verse 30, he says, for just as you remember, the same is true for all of us, right? For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God for just as you were disobedient. And so in this section alone, you see disobedient one, two, three, four times, and you see mercy one, two, three, four times. I pulled a Dr. Lawson and got my little ballpoint pin out, as he says, and circled. <laughs> um, and this is a, it, it jumped off of the page to me. Um, for just as you were disobedient. Now, disobedient um, in the King James, it's translated as unbelief. It's the Greek uh, empathia, where we get impiety. It's unpersuadable. It's you refused to believe. 
as Ephesians 2 um, tells us. And we were in uh, Ephesians just a minute ago. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Um, for just as you were once were once were disobedient to God, but now have been shown mercy. In the Greek, it's aleo. It's compassion on one in need, and then meeting that need. So, so we ask the question: What is man's greatest need? Man's greatest need is to have our sins removed from us and his righteousness credited to us so that we would truly receive mercy. Remember, what are we saved from? We're saved from God by God through Christ. So we have been shown mercy. Uh, and I'm just for time's sake, we're not going to go into this, but Psalm 136, 1 Peter 1, 3. Uh, we're just in Ephesians, you know, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love, which with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions has made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. So, God is called in 2 Corinthians 1, 3, the father of mercies. So we see he's going to drive this point home. Verse 31. So these also now, these Jews, right, have been disobedient. That because of the mercy shown to you, they may also now be shown mercy. So here we've come full circle. Salvation is based upon the mercy and compassion of God, not on merit, not on ethnicity. Uh, and it, it, is, it, is, it is unmerited, immense grace and mercy for all who believe, for all who God gives grace to and faith to and who repent and turn from their sin because of the regenerating faith given to the elect. You know what? This, this verse right here, makes me think about uh i don't i don't know chris how how much you know about art uh but it reminds me of a picture done by mc escher uh, and mc escher did this drawing where it's a it's a, it's one hand and it's drawing another hand so it's kind of mm. like this circle yeah so what you see is you see god showing mercy to the gentiles because of the disobedience of of the Jews mm -hmm. showing mercy to graft in and, 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 and bring salvation to the Gentiles, but he's still not done with Israel. That's right. So therefore, even though he's still showing mercy and bringing salvation to the Gentiles, it's going to come back around and he's still going to show mercy and bring salvation to the Jews. That's right. That's right. And remember, as we it's, talked about it's continuing, yeah, it is. It, it is continuing. And remember, as we talked about last time too, remember for those of us who are, are Gentiles and, and if we have any Jewish listeners to the show, hello. Uh, so, but uh, you know, for those of us who are Gentiles, think about how much more difficult it is for us to be grafted in. Um, and we are not of the natural root. Right. Uh, the the natural root has been cut off because of their disobedience and we have been grafted and, and, and sown into and supported by uh, the work of Christ through the natural root. Uh, but 
how much easier would it be to 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 bring the natural root back? And that's what Paul's getting at here. Uh, and I and I again, I love the way he wraps this up in this section. For God has shut up. Oh, here's this word all again. God has shut up all in disobedience so that he may show mercy to all. That he allows and has allowed uh, sin uh, to enter this world to demonstrate that he is the father of mercies. You know, often you'll hear people say, and, and I think of Andy Stanley, and I think of this whole nonsense of unhitching your faith from the Old Testament and the whole nonsense that he has said. I've heard him say that the God of the Old Testament is mean and harsh and, and, and all this stuff. And the God of the New Testament is the savior. And, and that's not true. When you read, hello, I just read Jeremiah. You know, Jeremiah 31, Isaiah 27, I, you know, Genesis 15 and Isaiah 59, Isaiah 53. Like, like you, you, you read all of this stuff and the, the, the one of the attributes of God is he is the father of mercies. Full of grace and truth, slow to anger, abounding in love. That didn't come from the New Testament. That came and, from and he's, the old. He's unchanging. He's unchanging, unchanging too. and so, uh, immutable. Yes, exactly. So, so, so if he's the God in the Old Testament, he's still the God in the New Testament. Just throwing that out there. You know, <laughs> saying that for a friend. Yeah, <laughs> phone a friend. He's still the same one. Uh, so, so to you know. Uh, to, to say that that his natures are have changed is blasphemous. Right, it's blasphemous. Uh, it's not true. Um, and and again, like uh, not not to beat that horse because we've talked about that a ton. Unfortunately, and and because it needs to be talked about. Um, but I just again want to take just this section of scripture and send it to to Andy and be like, "Hi, read. Thank you." Goodbye. Um, well, really, just take all of the New Testament portions where they pull from the Old Testament. Again, because get him a good NAS. He's, he's made the claim that the New Testament writers were not didn't have the Old Testament yeah. in mind when yeah. they wrote this. Well, uh, hello. Depending on how much they pull from it, yeah, they did. Well, and and I, I don't know about you. I don't know if you have your your Allen open. Um, yep. Yeah, so you're on page 1150, just like I am, and uh, when you look through here at all the capital letters on these yeah. these two pages, it's unbelievable. That's all Old Testament. Mm -hmm. That's all Old Testament. They did not do that. So, and that's what Paul's trying to show here. Paul is just driving this point home of the beauty, the power, and the really when you stop and think about it the mystery that salvation is for anybody. Mm -hmm. It isn't how could God only save some? And Josh said this in one of our previous episodes is how could God save anybody Right. because of our sin and the fact that he does and the way that he does um, is unbelievable. And so what is coming for us who are in Christ and the hope that we have because we're in Christ pales in comparison with anything that we could ever experience in this world. And so we've, we've gone through the teaching, the theology of Romans 11 and, and, and remember this whole section that this section, this, this letter that Paul has written that really nine through 11 all go together. 
So, and you notice multiple times, Paul has to stop and praise the Lord on high for, uh, for who he is and praise him in a way that truly brings honor and glory to him first and foremost, because that's God's first and foremost concern as well. And so uh, he wraps this up uh, with a beautiful doxology that we're going to unpack next time. Uh, but, but that's, I mean, mm. once you, because so, so how Romans, the book of Romans is, is broken up is it's in two sections. Basically you've got uh, ver- uh chapters one through 11, mm-hmm. which is, what God does. And then you've got chapters 12 through 16, which is now what you are to do. Correct. It's your call to action. Paul, Paul calling the, the reader to action. That's right. So, but in the wrap up of this first section of who God is, what, what you'll see once we get into it, this doxology, Paul cannot help but worship mm. in that moment. He wraps up that entire first section by worshiping. And I mean, it's just, it's just what, one, two, three, four, four verses of worship, but he can't help but do it because of uh, the glorious uh, grace, mercy, uh, attributes, uh, everything that God is that he's just taught leads Paul naturally into a place of worship. That's right. And, and so this, uh, not to get into it now. It's so t- hard not to, but because you want to. But you know, but it, let's 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 skim over the top. Let's we'll skim over the top. <laughs> so, what you notice here is the the theology behind salvation, and this happens multiple times in the Book of Romans. It happens in Ephesians. It happens in Colossians. It happens in just about every single epistle that Paul has written. The theology behind just just what AG just said, the the attributes of God, the salvation, the grace, the mercy, the compassion that we have, knowing who God is and desiring to to do all that pleases him because because we're we're, we're thankful and because that's that's our that's our number one desire. That's what leads Paul to this doxology. As Dr. I've, I've heard Dr. Stephen Lawson say it. I've heard Dr. John MacArthur say it, uh, uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones, that high theology, you cannot have high doxology and true worship in spirit and in truth without there being the foundation of solid, sound doctrine. That's right. You can't. Because you have to know who you're worshiping. That's right. That's right. I said in a previous podcast, unless we worship in spirit and in truth, foundation of the truth, we are worshiping not the God of Scripture, not the creator of the universe, not our true Lord and Savior. We are worshiping an idea of him. Therefore, we are worshiping ourselves. Yeah, because the idea we're worshiping is the idea we conjure up exactly. in our minds of the God exactly. we want. To. Okay, so if you have not yet done so, I want to direct you to the New American Gospel. Yes, Christ crucified. Yes. Okay, what you're going now? It's 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 two hours. 
plus. Okay. Uh, but it's, if you've seen the first one, you know, the second one yep. is going to be worth yep. it. But in there, what I love is there's kind of a back and forth. They have, they have people who are apostates, right? And, and they're making claims, but then you have actual solid Bible teachers that are answering these claims with scripture. And I love the way it's done. But one of the things you see towards the end of it is you see a man named Bart Campolo. Now, he's the son of Tony Campolo. Uh, who is uh, famous, I guess, uh, the um, was famous in the emergent church. Um, I never followed Tony Campolo. I heard the name a lot, but um, anyways, what you see is in order for him to worship, he, he did not like the God that was presented in the Bible. So he had to take verses out. He had to rearrange uh verses he he had to make it fit in a way that made worship and god pleasing to him and he makes this this uh admission and it's that once he finished doing that he realized the god he worshiped was a god of his own creation mm-hmm and that's what you end up doing when you reject sola scriptura and tota scriptura when you try to uh, take verses out, ignore them, make them say what they don't actually say, you end up worshiping a God that does not exist because it's a God of your own creation. And when you find examples of that happening in Scripture, the consequences are not good. That's right. And that should that should strike fear into our hearts. And, and when I say fear, um, I literally mean fear. I mean afraid. Jesus said, fear not the one who can just kill the body, but the one who can kill both the body and the soul. Right. When you look at the consequences of not worshiping the Lord rightly based on his word, based on what he has chosen to reveal to our finite minds— for those who would say, don't put God in a box. Well, we're the, you know, and, and I used to say, well, God put it. I've heard other people say this too. Uh, God put himself in a box. No, no, no. God didn't put himself in a box. We're the ones in the box. And what has happened is God has cut a little peephole in the box for us to see. And that peephole is his word. Mm. That's what we need to keep our focus on. Mm. We are the yeah. ones in the box, not God. And because we're in the box and because we can't be, as Paul said in Romans 11, he doesn't want anyone to be wise. Verse 25, I don't want you to be uninformed of this mystery so that you you will not be wise in your own estimation. When it comes to worship, we need to stick to scripture. We need to worship God rightly. We need to engage our minds. It needs to challenge us. You know, we just recently recorded a like a, a episode uh, of just kind of recapping 2019 and looking forward to 2020. And you know, man, one of the things I wish I would have said in there, and I'll say it here. One of the things that I learned in 2019, honestly, uh, the end of 2018 through 2019, is how to worship God rightly. Uh, how to worship him. And, 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 and that's not anything I figured out on my own. I'm not, hear me, please. I know that there's going to be somebody who here listens to this and be like, oh, you think you're wise in your own estimation and blah, 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 blah. Who are you to judge and all that stuff? Like, but man, that's by God's grace. 
that is by the Lord's grace only to him opening my, and one of the things my wife has been praying for us for years and she continues to is Lord. It's very simple. She says, she'll just say, Lord, keep us aligned with your truth. Very similar to what Jesus prayed in John 17. Sanctify. Man, that sounds like someone that, that went to John MacArthur's church right there. For a man. long time. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> so sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. Why Why do we feel the need to look anywhere else? That's right. You know, I, 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 I've said that. I, still, I mm. still do not have an answer to that question. Why do you need anything outside of what scripture says to do? Why do you, why does anyone feel the need to go to an external, somewhere external, right. external source outside of scripture and then try to justify it by saying, oh, well, there's things that we don't know that took place and have blah, 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 blah. No, that's just to feed your own desires. Why, why do you have the need to go outside of what God has already said uh, in his word oh, but about Drew, how no, he wants to be worshipped? But Drew, if God were to write down everything that he, he did and everything about Jesus, a, a thousand books couldn't contain it. The Bible says that. Well, you're absolutely right. It does. But guess what? We can't comprehend all that God would write down about himself. That's right. We can't comprehend everything no. that's in this book, like so therefore Justin, stay in it. Just like Justin Peters said at Truth Matters when he was talking about hearing from heaven, he said, so uh, you have to ask yourself a question. Have you mastered this book? And then he goes, and the answer is no. Uh, so why why feel the need? Don't go anywhere else. And, and honestly, man, uh, 2019, what has risen my personal doxology to a different level to where I used to be the guy who was listening to elevation and passion and Hillsong and even Bethel to where now when I want to worship the Lord personally, man, I can be exercising and I'm turning on hymns. And I had a friend of mine, a pastor who was like, who was like, man, how can you work out to hymns? I'm like, I, you know, I had that thought at first, but then you just start to, to really engage your mind in what those hymns are saying. And those hymns are saying things like the deliverer will come from Zion. He will remove ungodliness. And you think about the fact the Lord has, yeah, you, we still wrestle with the flesh, but the Lord has removed that from me. And all that I brought to the table was the ungodliness for him to remove. And so that has done nothing but elevate my doxology and then not to mention the kindness and the grace and the mercy and the discipline that I've also received from the Lord this, this last year just, just kicks it up even a, 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 another level. Yeah. Um, and I mean, but you know, those hymns, mm. they're so wordy, but you know why they're wordy? Because they contain a lot more food for the soul than ooh and ah. This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. I don't need I don't need five minutes of an instrumental of people going ooh 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 ah 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 whoa 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 because that does nothing. No, that's that's not edifying. And it does not, edifying. It does not glorify the Lord. It does not glorify the Lord. What does though is when the truths of the scriptures are sang. Through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. With believing hearts in spirit. Mm -hmm. When Christ said spirit, it's lowercase spirit because it's our spirit. And we're going to get into this next time. 
But I will say, and I'm not talking about, uh, look, I'm, I'm not trying to be divisive. I'm not trying to be confrontational or controversial. And we're not trying to be that. But scripture is very clear uh, in the Old Testament and the New um, on the consequences for not worshiping God rightly. Right. Uh, and, and you see it in Acts, you see it in Revelation, you see it in Jeremiah, you see it all over the place. Um, and so we're going to get into that next time because God does want to be worshiped the way that he has laid out in his, in his book. Um, so I thought about ending the way Josh did last time of just reading that section 33 through 36, and then yeah, we'll say whatever we need to. So, so again, we've just talked about for God has shut up all in disobedience, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Right. So that he may show mercy to all. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who became his counselor or who has first given to him that it might be paid back to him again for from him and through him and to him are all things to him be the glory forever. Amen. And we're going to unpack that next time. Yes, we are. So until then, hope you had a Merry New Year. (laughs) And a Happy Christmas. And a Happy Christmas. (laughs) That's right. We hope that this was a blessing to you. We hope that it was encouraging. We hope that it caused you to dive into Scripture. But that last section... Can't wait to dig into it because it's all about worship. Amen. So the next episode is going to be all about worship. What's the title going to be? Well, we got, we know we got Um, Romans 11 part part seven, seven. which I, I love that because of the significance of the number seven in scripture. Uh, uh, Romans, Romans 11 part seven kick reckless love in the face. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I like it. it. (laughs) Sweet. So expect a kick in the face to modern nonsensical worship. Mm. Well, 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 I'll, I'll say this. To normative principle worship. How about that? Hey, even better. Even even better. Uh, all modern worship songs are not nonsensical. That's true. Uh, That's very true. And there there is a remnant. Uh, some, some are very some good. Some are solid. Uh, some are solid. They're very, yeah. very good. Uh, but we'll just we'll say the normative principle yes, of worship the, that distracts from God's word. That's right. Um that's that is that is a good way that is a good way of putting that and remember just because it's music doesn't make it worship that's right just because it's songs with the names of god and maybe even scripture attached to it doesn't mean that worship's happening so anyway we'll, that's we'll right remember remember who does that too 
Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses and Catholics, and they all do it too, just FYI. But we're getting out of here. See you next time. (laughs) 